On this episode, I'm in the room with Alex Early discussing his new book, The Reckless Love of God. You're listening to In The Room, episode number 42. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're new to the podcast, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. There's multiple ways that you and I can stay connected between podcasts, and you can find all of them on my blog located at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. In The Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. Every week, I sit down with people of varied backgrounds and perspectives and vocations, so I end up talking with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week, I'm in the room with Alex Early. Alex is a reluctant pastor, an accidental church planter, and the author of a beautiful new book entitled The Reckless Love of God. In my conversation with Alex, we discuss why so many of us struggle to believe that God truly loves us, some things that make our hearts grow cold to God's love, and how a tragic season of trial led Alex to a deeper understanding of God's love for him. So go ahead and sit back, get comfortable, and come on in the room for my conversation with Alex Early. Alex, thanks so much for coming on in the room. I really appreciate it. Excited about your new book. And uh, I want to start at the beginning where I usually do uh, and introduce people who may not be familiar with you and your ministry uh, to who you are. So if we could start by just you telling us a little bit about where you're from, uh, where you grew up, what kind of home you grew up in, when you came to faith, met your wife, just kind of all that basic biography stuff. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So born and raised in Woodstock, Georgia, which is a suburb 30 minutes north of downtown Atlanta. Grew up uh, in the church and um, became a Christian around, uh, well, right right before I turned 16 years old. Okay. And, and about 90 days or so after I became a Christian, I knew God was calling me into the ministry at some capacity. I really, of course I was 16. I didn't know what it looked like. And based on my track record in school and behavior wise and, uh, a lot of things that aren't aren't the best days of my life. Uh, I didn't really know what, what it all was going to look like. I thought maybe God will send me to a foreign country. (laughs) Mission field, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so uh, like a lot of guys, you know, it just takes, time to really figure out I've got this passion I've got this call I've got a few gifts to to steward but I don't know where to go or how to do or so for me it just took time um and it, and it's still I think it's finally making sense now at the age of 35 all right you know um so met my wife in college and uh, we got married about a year after we graduated and uh and so I've served at all kinds of churches in various roles from intern to church planter to uh, serving at other churches out West in uh, different roles, teaching theology and seminary to, I mean, you name it, like yeah. kind of a lot of different things. Well, tell me about, since I am a church planner, tell me about your church planning background. Where was that? Cause how many churches have you planted? Where have you been? So I know you primarily from, I think I knew that you were a church planner before you went to work at Living Stones and now yeah. you're back in Atlanta. So tell me a little bit yeah. about your church planning background. Yeah. So church planting, I, I stumbled into it years ago, uh, 2006, I guess is when I actually really considered it or heard of it for the first time, with, Okay, you know, and I uh, heard of Acts 29 and all that. This is crazy. Um, uh, but I, yeah, it was back then I uh, 
was going to seminary and New Orleans seminary, went over to Oxford uh, University and uh, was doing some summer school, completing a specialization study there in historical Jesus research and all that. And I was kind of thinking I'm going to go be a theology professor. And then uh, really, I don't know, was became really convicted by the verse that says Jesus was a friend of sinners. Uh-huh. And, um, I knew at that point, like, oh, man, something's happening yeah. in me and something was changing and uh, I knew I got to do something with this. So uh, I went and got a job at uh, a bar uh, in the city that I was living in okay. and just started. Uh, yeah, I was a bar back, became a Sunday, uh, Sunday school substitute teacher okay. and, um, and was finishing seminary in that environment rather than working in the church. I just found myself wanting to be around, you know, other people yeah. rather than just working at the church all the time. And right. So uh, before long, after working in the bar, I started telling the gospel to my friends that would frequent the bar there and got to share the gospel, start leading people to Jesus, and before long it snowballed into a full-blown church plant. So it was like an accidental church plant. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. accidental. I, I, did, I certainly wasn't journeying out to go be a pastor church planter. I've sure. never wanted to be a pastor. You know, I, remember, I remember coming to that conclusion in college, just going, I don't want to be a pastor. Okay. They get shot at all the time. It's hard. It's draining. It seems like they're... I didn't want to go into church playing pastor. Yeah. I thought theology prof maybe might be more something I'd be interested in doing and serving in a church at a low, at, at a at a different level. Right, a elder deacon in the church, not a full time pastor. Right. So what happened after that? How did you? How long were you there? You transitioned yeah. out. Did you go from there to Living Stones in Reno? I, I actually went from there up to Seattle to Mars Hill. Oh, you did. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so I went there, served at Mars Hill for a year and some change, uh, led Mars Hill Ballard. Okay. Uh, and, of course, in light of all that uh, transpired there, sure. um, I, I, uh, I, I left about a year before everything really uh, was done yeah. at, at Mars Hill. And so from there, it was like, well, do I go back to Atlanta now or – Later, how do I get there? Um, I always, you know, I talked both at Mars Hill and with the pastors of Living Stones, you know. Yeah. I, I want to eventually wind up in Atlanta, and everybody had always known that and was cool with that. And, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, went so from Mars Hill down to Living Stones and then okay. from Living Stones to here. Awesome. Yeah. So now you're so, back in Atlanta, taking some yeah. time to just kind of breathe a little bit and uh, before yeah. jumping back into, Lord willing, planting another church. Yeah, taking time, spending time, and I'm not ashamed like to tell anybody. Like I, I'm spending time in counseling, going yeah. to, you know, uh, just taking care of my Good, soul, yeah. marriage, kids, my, just really recalibrating after running so hard for so many years now, and it's only been a few years. It's only like ten years, yeah. but running really hard, and so. Yeah learning how to really pace myself, go a little slower, pay more attention to my soul, all the important stuff that you got to do. Yeah, and good for you. So just taking a year to, to do that. Totally, so, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, for yeah. what it's worth, which is probably not very much, I'm really proud of you for making that decision. I think that that's <laughs> awesome to be willing to do that. Yeah, it's 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 kind of humbling, to be yeah, quite yeah. honest. Uh, it's humbling, and um, it's different because, you know, you want to keep going. And, I mean, you're a pastor. I mean, yeah. it's there's we want to go and keep doing, but there are those seasons where it's like the Lord just 
decided, hey, you're you are taking a break. Early. Yeah, and so I was like, yes, Lord, I yeah. will. And so, so I had written this. Uh, what we're talking about, you know, the reckless yeah. love of God stuff. I had written this uh, a long time ago, and it just happened to release on the time that, like, I'm kind of just hanging out. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> nice, though, man. To have the freedom to do that. I I know that. I mean, I just it's obviously different circumstances, but I'm just back off an eight week sabbatical, and it took yeah. me like the first month to just be like every day. I was like, so this is all I do, huh? Is like hang out with my family and work out and yeah. I guess watch TV. I'm not really. This is just a very different experience, but it was a very very uh, refueling, refocusing. I was just yeah. good, man. Yeah, yeah, it's good for yourself. It's a it weird. Is. It's weird too. It's like super. It's weird to just stop and yep. like, okay, now what? And yeah. but yeah, we're back in the south now. We know right. this is where the Lord has called us for years and years, and so it's like, let's let's catch our breath. Yeah, the the you know the kingdom of God will advance while I chill out. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good, man. So, yeah, so that's kind of what it's, that's what we're up to. All right, let's talk about this book, uh, The Reckless Love of God. Um, I wanted to start just kind of, I mean, the love of God, especially because you, I know that you are such a theology guy and I think have a real gift for making uh, theology accessible to people, uh, which is a, I mean, is a real skill, man, because it's a, it's a stumbling block for a lot of people or a confusing mess that a lot of even Christians just don't really want to wade into those waters. And I think that you've always done a great job of breaking that down for normal people like me. Uh, and you do a great job with that in the book, but I wanted to ask you the question, the love of God seems like such an elementary attribute to some extent. (laughs) And so why would a would a guy like you write this book? I just want to hear your heart behind it. Yeah. Um, well, I think you're right. It does sound pretty elementary, especially if you grew up in the church yeah. or if you've been yeah. in the church for more than a, a day or two. You know that, like, okay, we know the love of God. Let's right. move. Let's move on to more robust yeah, theology. The Trinity, something like that. Yeah. Let's do some. Yeah, something like Trinity. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it always goes there, but let's just. Yeah. It always does because it does. Like, that's the one. But uh, you know. I think uh, I think I've wanted to talk about the love of God because it honestly it occurred to me that God actually loved me personally uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it radically changed me uh, from studying God as a subject, you know, behind like the glass, like like a scientist or something, and uh, start encountering Him as an actual person. And, um, and so it really struck me. It really changed me. And um, it, it's actually permeated my soul in a lot of ways. And uh, so why talk about this? Why not move on to more robust theological study? Well, it, it, I think we are saying something fairly robust when we say, God loves me. Yeah, That's, that's really profound when you start unpacking, well, who is God? What's his nature and his character and his essence? What's he like? Right. Who is right. he? Where's he come from? Who's God? Yeah. yeah. And then what's he feeling? And then of all things, it's love. And not just any love. It's, it's God's love for, for me as a person, not just like, you know, humanity in general or just the world in a very generic it's a term like, well, God loves everybody, you know, but like God actually loves me personally. That's yeah. saying something, yeah. uh, pretty profound, you know? And one of the things I really appreciate about 
the way that you write in the book and even just as we're chatting now is the way that you've really written yourself in an appropriate way. It's not like a memoir by any means, but, but you write your own in a very vulnerable way. You write your own story and learnings into the midst of it. And in the introduction, you describe your own journey. And uh, I liked at one point you said, um, it wasn't evidence of God's existence that I needed, but reassurance of his love for me. And you were describing kind of your own journey to coming to faith and everything. And I wonder from a pastoral perspective, how many people you think that might be true for, um, that might even kind of, uh, as a way of hiding or masking what, what their real question is, which might be, does God really, could he really love me? And they hide behind all of these sort of, well, I, I need proofs and I'm not sure that there really is a God. And so I'm just curious because it was your experience, how many people do you think, maybe really struggle with that yeah i think that i think that you know when you said it like you know i did write that down and you know i really do that's really where i was at and i think that's where i mean statistics tell us you know that the majority of americans you know they believe in god in some 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 way and i think people do believe in a creator or a force or something out there but but to go into like does he feel something for me that's the that's the part that makes you squirm yeah um you know, debating the existence of God, that that really wasn't what was bothering me as a high schooler. Mm-hmm. In fact, that bothered me after I became a pastor. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Why do you think that makes us squirm so much? Why do, what is it about the love of God that makes it so difficult for us to, I mean, I remember one time in a sermon, I said, um, that I, th- I don't think that most of the time as Christians that we have a hard time believing that God loves everybody else we have the hardest time believing that God might actually love us. And why do you think that that's so difficult? Yeah, gosh, you know, I guess everybody has to answer that in their own way. But I think um, because when we know, we know who we really are deep down inside yeah. with all our lust, our greed, our perversions, our selfishness, our judgmental selves, our self-hatred, our self-rejection. I mean, nobody hates ourselves more than, than we do. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for, for God to, I mean, you know, God is not, if he's going to get in, in your life, he's going to get all in your face. He's going to get all in your business. And he's, he's a close talker, you know, yeah. he gets yeah. way up close and he's, he's personal. And um, I think that makes us squirm because he's going to see the real us, that real self that we don't want anybody to really know. In fact, the real self that we're afraid of even letting exist, you know? Yeah. And therefore we, we perform for people and we perform for ourselves and all of a sudden God shows up and he doesn't need your performance and he doesn't, he just wants you. And that, that's, that requires, I guess, some real vulnerability. And I, I guess that's what I mean by that word squirm or it, yeah. it makes, us, makes us blush in the sense of you, you actually you actually really care about me. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Totally. Uh, with all my flaws and all my, all my insecurities, everything that's messed up about me, you're, you're here loving me anyway. And that, uh, yeah. I think that makes us all pretty uncomfortable because we like to be able to fall back on something. Like, well, of course he loves me. I, I did X, Y, and Z. I can point to something, you know, yeah. but when God shows up, there's really nothing to point to, but, just point back to him. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to share a simple way that you can help support in the room. 
As you know, most weeks I'm talking with someone who's written a book about something. Now, I love books, and I know firsthand how expensive it can be to try to keep up with all the books that you'd like to read, including the ones that you hear about on this show. And this is why I'm so excited about our new partnership with Givingtons.com. Like Amazon, they sell books at discounted rates, but here's what's great for In The Room. When you buy a book through our store, we receive a portion of that sale to help continue bringing great weekly content. So for whatever featured book we're discussing on this week's episode, we receive a full $2. And for books from past episodes, we receive $1.25. Now you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to help get this podcast to as many people as possible, and I need your help. So will you keep spreading the word on social media, and will you consider buying this week's book through givingtons.com? Just go to givingtons.com slash in the room. There you're going to find not only this episode's book, but books written by past guests as well. So check out our new store at givingtons.com slash in the room. Thanks so much for your help. And now back to the conversation. I don't remember when or where it was, but at one point I remember hearing uh, Matt Chandler say, it was in a sermon that God doesn't love some future version of you. But um, loves you, and that just like absolutely yeah. messed me up when I heard him say that. I just think that that's such a power, and I've seen in preaching yeah. that same sentiment. I don't know that I've found too many other things that make a deeper connection with people than mm-hmm. than than that reality. To and and in in two ways, like I, I I watch it across people's face. I see pain and doubt and uncertainty, but also this at the very same time, this kind of collision of overwhelming comfort and relief. In I hope that's true, because <laughs> yeah. that's pretty life changing if it is. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I, I love that statement by Matt, yeah. uh, uh, and that's absolutely true that he's not holding out, and. Um, because again, there's this there's this thing in us that makes us think, well, if I just go and do something awesome, if I finally clean my act up, if I finally get it together, then it'll look like him. the rest of those perfect people in that church over there. But yeah. until I get there, he's not going to love me, and the, that's the crazy scandal of the gospel, isn't it? You know, yeah. shows him like, oh, you don't you don't have to come to me. I'm coming to you. Yeah, like uh, I, I, yeah, that's the whole point of the gospel is just. Right. Wait right there. I've come for you. Like, that's the incarnation. It's just like, sit tight. Yep. Your father's coming to the rescue, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the word love for a second. Um, we live in a culture where the word love is nebulous at best. And, uh, we use it to describe such a wide range of emotions. We love everything from food to family, which is always kind of, you know, odd. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so how, how do you think that we should move toward understanding what it means that God loves us? How do we actually come to when the Bible says that God loves us? How do we, how do we get on the same? Like, so we're using the same, (laughs) we're using the same term, but like the princess bride thing, like you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. (laughs) And uh, so how do we get to a point where like we're on the same, like we're, we're meaning and understanding what it is that God's saying? Yeah, I think, I think just objectively, it's you start with the Bible mm-hmm. and you go there and you actually just look at the actual grammar of the scripture itself. What's the what are the words used there to convey the compassion, the love of God, and what are what are the contexts in which those are found? That you know, the, I love the Bible. It's not it's not mincing words for sure, and it's it's certainly quite colorful. It's picturesque. It's 
it's got a context when so God's not just throwing this word love out there and then you fill in whatever you think it is like no he he'll define it for you um, and you don't even have to wait to get to you know Matthew in the Gospels to find out what love is it's it's riddled throughout the Old Testament uh, right. and so first you start there with breaking down just the 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 etymology doing the exegesis in and of itself and looking at what is the word love actually mean mm-hmm. and then too you move into also the the subjective experience of the of the love of god and go this is different from what passes for love in culture today at a generic valentine's day chocolates and flowers yeah, yeah and and just sloppy sentimentalism on tv you yeah. know yeah. just just it makes us all kind of roll our eyes a little bit. Um, so I think you start with the the Word of God, and then the the, the clearest place you can see love displayed, of course, is in the cross of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the God demonstrated His own love for us, and the while we're sinners, Jesus died for us. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, if you don't anchor it in the cross of Jesus, then you might be left guessing or trying to fill in the blanks of. I wonder how he feels, you know, and yeah. Calvary shows us. Yeah. Any particular place that you would, I mean, so you, you, you mentioned exegesis. There's probably some people listening that don't even, oh, that yeah. are like scrambling for a dictionary. Not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah, feel like, yeah. feel like they miss church that Sunday. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. But, a- and that, no, that's totally fine. I just want to keep in mind everybody who might, who might be listening. So, Let's say just on a practical level, is there a place I'm obviously like I'm I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't want to point people to your book. I think that that's sure. going to be a really, really meaningful place for people to start. But you one of the things I love about your book is that it's just like filled to the brim with Bible. And um, so clearly you have a deep conviction that I share that, you know, we answer these questions as Christians with God's word, but yeah. where would you point someone that's like, all right, I really, I, I want to come to a deeper not just theological, but experiential understanding of God's love for me. Is there any place that you point them? Like probably not Leviticus, maybe first and foremost. Uh, any any advice on that? Yeah, I, I'd go straight to Luke 15. That's okay. the best chapter in the whole Bible. Yeah, man, it's great. So, so um, yeah, Luke 15 is the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Yeah. And I uh, hang out with the 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 that chapter in general and watch the reaction of the the seeker yeah looking for what was lost you know watch how the the shepherd acts when he finds a sheep watch how that lady acts when she finds that coin under the couch watch how the father acts when the the prodigal son comes home yeah and to know that that ecstatic gut busting silly grin on the face of the father is actually over you as a yeah, person. Yeah. And uh, I'd go right there. That's that's what has rung my bell so yeah. many times. Yeah. No, I think no. That, that's super that's, helpful and I would agree. I want to transition a little bit to a, like a more sure. sobering subject. And that sure. is, uh, I think one of the most moving passages in the book uh, is the story that you share surrounding the miscarriage of you and your wife's first son when you guys were studying over in England. Yeah. And um, while not everybody is necessarily going to be able to 
relate to or have experienced the heart-wrenching pain of losing a child, everyone does know what it is to experience a supposedly loving God, allowing circumstances in their life that feel anything but loving. And so I was wondering if you just could share a little bit about what you've learned about the love of God specifically through loss. Uh, because I, I, I mean, I've pastored long enough to have met a number of people where that's what's derailed them with the reality of like, how could God love me if this, if he's allowed, you know, whatever that thing might be to happen. So could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm terrible at suffering. Like I'm just terrible at it. I don't like, sometimes I read other guys and go, man, you guys are just like almost crazy like you're psyched about it almost totally yeah i don't know i i don't have a glorified view of suffering at all i hate it and i worm my whole way through it um and so like that was the first time i think suffering hit our lives in a way that it hadn't hit before you know um jan and i both come from good families and we we didn't have a whole lot of suffering going on and then all of a sudden, kaboom, this mm-hmm. is our son. Yeah. And um, so I squirmed. I yelled at God. I shook my fist at God. I remember one morning we got back to America and I was reading Job, the end of Job. Like, how does God handle suffering people? And then all of a sudden he comes out of a tornado and he starts yeah. blasting Job with all the questions. I got so mad. I got so mad. I grabbed my Bible and I threw it into the wall and just like, you're just a big bully. That's how I felt. Yeah. And a lot of people feel that way. Um, when it comes to suffering, you're a bully. How am I supposed to trust you now? How am I supposed to believe in you now? And sitting there at my dining room table, just sobbing, Jana was out somewhere. And so I was able to have just a moment, you know, but yeah, by myself this time mm-hmm. and um, letting those questions from Job wash over me before long I could sense that God wasn't a bully badgering me but he was in the best way possible sobering me up to go look I drew every stripe on every zebra in the whole world I got you Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was there that I started to really sense go, oh, wow, I have your attention. The God who created all the cosmos, I have his attention on my my little bitty life in this great catastrophe, and he's here listening to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then through spending a lot of time just looking closely at how Jesus deals with suffering people in the Gospels. He shows up and he's weeping at Lazarus' grave. I started to see that Jesus doesn't just suffer for me, but he suffers with me. That's so That's, good. And uh, that, that in and of itself, I think, has continued to build faith and to trust God, even yeah. Yeah. through incredible loss Irreplaceable loss, by the way, too. Totally I mean, pastor, you know, people want a pastor to show up and give them an answer and go, but God, and put a bow on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my homie Elliot uh, Grudem over yeah. in Raleigh, he told me the other day, this was awesome. He said, You know, the craziest thing, Job is your oldest book in the Bible, right? Uh, even though Genesis comes first, yep. Job's the, actually the oldest one. Okay. And, uh, 
he said, you know, the, the oldest temptation in the world, it looks like, is for friends to want to put a bow on your suffering. So good. And because that's what Job's buddies did, totally, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so so when it comes to when, when people miscarry, when family members die, when tragedy happens, it's kind of like people don't, people don't want a bow put on it. Yeah. And yeah. Then when a when a child dies, when a family member dies, those people aren't replaceable. Right. And right. It's, it's and the well, they're in a better place now. Doesn't do anything for you. It's like, but I want them here. Sure, that's great for them. That doesn't really help me at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think it's important that we actually just acknowledge suffering for what it really is. Yeah. And, totally. And to say, and Jesus is with us in our suffering. So good. Yeah. So that's that's some of yeah. I think it takes um, it takes a lot of maturity and humility to be able to come to grips with the fact that what is loving doesn't always feel like what we conceive of as love being <laughs> what love is supposed to feel like. Yeah. And you know, I think being a parent has helped me learn that. You know, that at times the most loving thing that I can and have to do for my kids is like the last thing that they want. And, and from there, and I think just acknowledging, you know, like when I, when Isaiah, when God says to Isaiah, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. I just, I, I see in myself and also in my church, that's one of the most difficult things for us to have the humility to acknowledge that we, we think that we know. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that being a dad and watching my little kids just not understand how simple things like bedtime is, well, for their good in my sleep. Um, yes. Like, but that's a, that's a, you know, little things like that are loving things to do that they kick back against that they don't like. And, and I just think that there's so much, I don't know that anything's taught me more about my relationship with God outside of the Bible than my kids. Yeah. And then just somewhere along the way, we lose the ability, you know, to see those things. And again, doesn't take away the suffering by any means, but I think that, you know, at some point we, we choose to trust or not to trust based on what we believe about the character and nature of God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. It's, and it's like, you know, we, it's easy for us to like have a, have a script yeah. to hit God and go, this is what love is. These are my love languages. That's right. Speak them. And you know what in I mean? my experience, God does not give a flying rip about my love languages. <laughs> yeah. So, so God, but then God just will take your script and put it away. Totally. And like, well, here's my script for your life. Yeah. And better. this is how I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to engage you. It's not that I'm not going to speak your language. I'm going to speak to you in a way, and I'm going to speak to your soul in a way that, well, frankly, will speak more clearly to you yeah. than, than what you had come up with in, to begin with, yeah. you know? That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, but to be okay with that paradox of God is a loving God, a good God, a controlling God, and yet this horrible thing happened to me, now what? Yeah. Now what? And it's in that now what dark night of the soul moment that you really start finding out, am I built on the sand or am I built on the rock? What do I really believe? And if you come up, full of doubt and that's not the worst thing that's still not the worst thing the worst thing is to just then remove yourself i think from the faith remove yourself from community and so on but i mean for me i came up with lots of doubt a lot of days and a lot of pain but i had 
a godly wife and godly friends around. And I, I, I continue to bring my complaints before God and, you know, yeah, cling to that, you know, yeah. cling to yeah. that Lord that, that, you know, somehow, Lord, I know you're there. I know you're good, but this has got everything jacked up. And to not tap out of the, the argument and go, well, fine, I'm an atheist now. I quit. Right. You right. know, but yeah. So that was, that was some of that experience. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that. I know it's not the easiest subject to talk about and writing it into a book takes great courage. And, and I just, I, what I appreciate about people who are willing to do that. And then even, you know, at the beginning of our chat sharing that, you know, you're going to counseling. I, I think that I've probably said this on the podcast before, cause once this statement made such a profound impact on me, but I remember years ago, some leadership conference, I heard Erwin McManus say that God wants to turn our misery into ministry. And uh, I just thought that was so such a beautiful way of capturing the way God wants to redeem the things that we go through. And yeah. when you, when someone's willing to open up and to be vulnerable and to share about those, it just blesses and God uses it for for more good. So thanks for being willing to do that. Yeah, I hope I'm done with the min- uh, misery yes, stuff. Yeah, like, I'll pray it, to that I, in for you as well. Oh my goodness, yeah. So I want, one, one last question I had. Sure. Centers around you describe some Christians in the book whose hearts have grown cold. I, I like the way that you kind of write this book to anybody, which is pretty freaking hard to do. Yeah. And I really do believe that this book is for anybody and everybody. But you describe yeah. some Christians whose hearts have grown cold to the love of God. And, uh, and I wonder for people listening that might be in that place, a couple of questions. What are some factors that contribute? to our hearts growing cold as Christians? And then secondly, if that's where someone finds themselves, how do we go about having the love of God warm our hearts again? Does that make sense? So how do we get there? And then, you know, put a bow at the end of our conversation, if you would. <laughs> and, and, and how do we, how do we have our hearts rewarmed again? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we can, our, you know, in the book, I talk about three ways that our hearts grow cold to God and yep. it's through, you know, isolation, inoculation and unrepentant sin. So we can grow cold to God by isolating ourselves from the, the, the church, the community in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, it's a, it's a me and Jesus only relationship at best. Um, and before long, because you're not around other Christians hearing about the gospel and what God's doing in their lives, it's easy to go cold. Yep. Um, so isolating, inoculating ourselves, you know, is another way where you just absolutely hang out in a Christian bubble all the time. And so you're going to Christian coffee shops and wearing your Christian t-shirts and doing your Christian functions every, every day of the week. It's all Christian, 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 everything, Christian cruise, Christian vacations. Yep. Eventually you get inoculated to the gospel. Uh, because I, I think you um, you don't get to see it. Uh, you don't have the opportunity to share it with somebody that might not know Jesus, and yeah. therefore your heart can grow cold there. Or through just unrepentant sin, you know, just persisting in, I'm just going to live however I want, and or I'm going to keep this part. God can have all of my life except this this corner right here. This mm-hmm. part is for me. And uh, I think through that, that, that part, this part that's for me, thing is actually your God. Yeah. And, uh, and that too ends up, uh, creating cold hearts toward his, his love. So then is the remedy like the inverse of those three things being involved in Christian community, um, 
be, being around, you know, like a Christian cruise just sounds like the most nightmarish kind of vacation to me. So no more Christian cruise, cruise with, with, with sinners no. and, and repentance. Are, are those kind of, uh, is that the way that you would, you would recommend that we kind of go like take steps toward rewarming our hearts? Yeah. I mean, it's Bible, faith, Jesus, prayer, all the typical Sunday school answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, that's pretty standard to go. Yeah, that's, 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 that's it. And then there's two giving yourself like extended time to actually consider what God did for us through the cross of Jesus and to, and to not move on from that, but to let that actually sink in and go, if this is what God has done for me, then God give me the heart that I should have in response to this great, great work you've done through his death and resurrection. Right. So, yeah, I think those are, I think those are places where you, where you can go to start going, God recreate in me a new heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I always feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to anyone who uh, takes on the labor of writing a book. And I think that yours is going to be a really uh, healing, redeeming gift to a lot of to what I pray is a lot of people. And so I know I will definitely be pointing lots of people to the book. So thanks for coming on the podcast. And more than that, thanks for writing the book, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My thanks to Alex for taking the time to chat and to you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I hope you found it helpful and I want to make sure that you check out the show notes of today's episode for ways that you can connect with Alex, as well as where you can find his new book, The Reckless Love of God. Don't forget to stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that you and I can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.